At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the 504th episode of the Sales Podcast. I'm Wes for the Sales Whisperer, your host. Today we have Mr. Ron Carr. He was the former president of the National Speakers Association, multiple uh, bestseller. He is the author of the new book, The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate Resistance, Gain Buy-In, and Achieve Better Results Faster. Um, had a great conversation with him. His book is out right now, so I timed this to uh, uh, go live as his book goes live today, uh, May 11th. Uh, it's a good book, uh, good guy, good interview, so uh, you are in for a treat, so get ready. Um, and, you know, I'm recording this on a Monday, the intro at least, and um, Mondays I do my weekly call. I'm doing a five-part series with a uh, partner team for a uh, software-as-a-service business, so 21 of them going through that right now. Uh, the goal is to get all 100 in this year. Um, I'm going to be sharing some of the things that I've been teaching them on some episodes coming up. I'm going to be doing more uh, monologues, more uh, reviews, more tips and tricks, if you will, uh, as well as the, the strategy, the longer term thinking, the planning. And so I bring that up because in the call today, people were talking about how overwhelmed some of them feel. Uh, we're going pretty fast, but I'm reminding them that the data I'm giving them, the information I'm giving them, is it's broad and it's intense on purpose. With 21 people in the group, everybody has different strengths and weaknesses, different experience levels. So in order to give something for everyone... I've got to paint with a broad brush. And then, you know, we go deep in the in the call, but there's a private group and a lot of engagement, they ask a lot of questions. So as each person struggles or, you know, dives deeper on a particular topic, they can they're given that opportunity. Um, but a lot of them admit it it's been tough. Um, learning something new is tough. Doing it remotely is tough. Uh, trying to hold yourself accountable to learn and apply something new alone is tough. That's why you need groups, you need mentors, you need accountability partners. You know, you need something. A, you need to know what to do. B, you need to be held accountable to do it. So two sides of the same coin. All right. But that's what I do. Um, hit me up. You know, if you're not sure what to do and money's tight, go to makeeverysale.com, get the on-demand content, begin you know, watching, reading, applying. If you want to ask questions, uh, get on live every week, then sellmoreofeverything.com. Join us there, okay? 
uh, we get into some of the tips and the things that we talk about here with Ron today uh, on this episode. But, um, you know, the key is to apply. Apply what you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you make every sale. Now, let's bring on our guest. Ron Carr, thawing out in Jersey, author of the new book, The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate Resistance, Gain Buy-In, and Achieve Better Results Faster. Welcome to the Sales Podcast, man. How the heck are you? I'm great, Russ. How are you doing, my friend? I'm I'm good, man. But do I, do I really have to achieve all this faster? I I like I like slow and steady, man. Can can we just what's wrong with like a you know the a crock pot to growth? What, what's all this about speed? Well, it's not just about speed, and that's a great question. I mean, if I if I ask you to think about velocity, Wes, and the first word comes to your mind is speed, right? But that's not all of velocity. Oh. If that's all it is, then you have burnout. Oh. How many times do we like rush, rush, rush to get through our to-do list? And at the end of the day, we question, what did we really accomplish? Yeah. The true definition of velocity, the physics definition is speed with direction. Uh-huh. And most people in this world are task-oriented versus purpose-oriented. So the first thing is if they could just really visualize what the destiny is that they want for that project, that sales call, anything, that will dictate the right actions they should be taking which in turn will give them velocity in achieving the results that they want. So in answer to your original question about the crock pot, yes, go slow. I don't care if you go slow. I just want you to get there. The problem is most of us don't get there because of our own self-imposed limitations that get in the way of our velocity and create drag on, our, on resistance to the velocity. Very nice. You know, I do uh, every January, I do this charity swim for the Navy SEAL Foundation. We swim across Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I did it, they were saying it's like a motto in the in the military, I guess. I hadn't heard it before in the Air Force, but, you know, they say slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. You know, so it was uh, like that always stuck with me now for seven years. Um well, that's what this book is about. It's meant to uh, get rid of those uh, bumps that, you know, slow you down so you can have that smooth sailing to whatever the destination is that you want in this lifetime. Yeah. So you you talk about leaders. Um, is this applicable to salespeople? I mean, we're just greedy money grubbers, <laughs> you know, close and just get to the next deal. Am I a leader as a salesperson? The answer is yes. And the reason you and I know each other, Wes, as you know, is because I was in sales myself for many years. I was in sales. I taught sales. I wrote lead sell, get out of the way. And then as, as I was doing it, I was moving more into leadership. But the reason I wrote lead seller, get out of the way is because if a salesperson acts like a salesperson, they won't get the deal. They'll be talking too much, puking people who utter knowledge about everything, and they won't close the deal. But if they act like a leader, help people you know, understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish and to help them find the right solution, then they will sell more in less time. Why is there still such a, a bad rap, though, for salespeople? You know, I talk to people all the time, entrepreneurs, they still are afraid of sales and marketing. People all the time will tell me, oh, I'm a chiropractor. I'm a IT guy. I'm not a salesperson. Really? Well, so because sales has a connotation of uh, talking too much and being outgoing. 
And that's not really what it takes to sell. What it really takes to sell is to find out where someone's trying to go and then present the solution in context to what's important to them. That's the basic process, you know, that you can boil it down to. So reserved individuals like technical um, people, professionals that are supporting computers and all that, yes, they're actually, they could be your best salespeople because they're the ones who are talking to the other side's technical people. They're likely going to be the ones who are going to find out the information that the salespeople only wish that they had. So the question is with the technical people is, they should they be salespeople? Yes. Should they be closing the order? Not necessarily, depending on how your structure is. But they should be part of the sales process. They should be finding some additional information that will make the salespeople much more powerful. Oh yeah, I tell people all the time. Like I was in I was in tech sales for years, and I would brief my systems engineers, you know, that were going in helping either with the pre-sale, you know, the demo, the evaluation. Uh, post-sale, you know, training and support. I'm like, man, you, you know, pick their brain, right? Keep your ears open. Cause like you get two techies together. They're going to talk about what they really like, what they don't like. Um, and man, if you're, if your systems engineer is, you know, got his ear to the ground, Oh, it's just, they just bring back gold. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> They just don't, they don't always see it or appreciate it or understand. I mean, you're right. And it's, it's, it's good and bad, I guess. Right. If like they say in poker, if you don't know who the chump is, it's you. So now let's take this and help your engineers out a little bit. Okay. And in, in the velocity mindset, uh, we've taken this to a new level. So any, let's, t- let's take the normal salesperson. Okay. The outward going individual, right? Right. What they have to realize, whatever has to realize that whenever you call, whenever I call somebody up, prospect or even existing client, I am an interruption. Yep. And so we get into the neuroscience in this book on influence. And if you accept the fact that as a salesperson, you're a leader, you're going to lead someone through a process, then the first thing you have to do is create an environment that's safe for them to want to talk to you. So if you know that all of a sudden you're an interruption, their cortisol is going up. You've interrupted what they're doing. The fight or flight hormones taking over. And then they hear you're a salesperson. It's going to go up even more because that's their protection mechanism. They want to put the wall up. If all you do at that time is start talking about your products and your services and all the features, that cortisol spikes even higher and they will stop that meeting either by walking out or shutting down on you. But if you accept yourself as a leader, and you understand your job is to create a safe environment, and you understand that you have just interrupted this person, then what you want to do is not talk about yourself, talk about them. Have them talk about what they're trying to accomplish in the new year, what their three biggest challenges are, and then start getting into a conversation as to how you can do it. So if you want, let's role play for a little bit, okay? I know not everybody can see this because it's a podcast, but those who may see this video, I want you to look at Wes's face for a second. So I'm going to be the salesperson. You're going to be the customer, okay? Okay. Let's say you're a VP of sales, and I want to sell myself as a keynote speaker, right? Hey, Russ, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, listen, you know, I'm a keynote speaker, and I just wrote a great book called The Velocity Mindset. I see you having a meeting, and I want to talk to you about, you know, keynoting the meeting, you know, for your team. Let's stop. Now, 
let's pretend there's a there's a continuum of cortisol from one to ten. All right, six to ten, it, the person's getting unengaged. The wall is up. Six, you're an interruption. Seven, they're starting to get a little antsy. Eight, they're getting agitated. Ten, they're out of there. Four and five are the key areas you want the cortisol to be. It's where someone's really engaged. Let's go. You get below four, three, two, one, and eh, that's sort of engaged, but not really. You know, you don't really have the full attention, okay? At this moment, right after I said that to you, where would you put your cortisol? Uh, Mid-level, I mean. Were you really engaged? Um, it's like, so I'm trying to put myself in the position of that VP, right? It's like, yeah, yeah I'm not expecting your call. Like, oh, hell, you know, I'm getting pitched. Um, but I guess it depends on, like, do I want a speaker? Was I planning on having a speaker? You know, did I assign this True. to somebody else? True. Uh, you know, so all these things are going through my mind. So, uh, you know, you you cut to the chase, though. I did. I appreciated that, right? And you did it quickly. So what would be the number? Yeah, five, maybe a six, you know, because of the interruption. So maybe I, a six. I'm maybe getting out of that ideal zone, but I'm, but I'm not pegged like okay. hang up and run away. All right. We're going to do this differently. Okay. Okay. Wes, how are you doing today? Oh crap. I'm a 10. Hang up. <laughs> you didn't like I that. that. <laughs> Wes, thank you for taking my call. Uh, the reason I'm calling you is I wanted to share three strategies that clients have brought me in to speak to their teams before at their national sales meetings. Uh, before I do though, there's a really important question I need to ask you. Is this a good time to ask you that question? Uh, yeah, I got a couple of minutes. Okay. As you go about 2021, what are the three objectives you're looking to achieve in this year? Man, we got to figure out this whole new normal. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out the right blend of remote sales versus in-person sales. Um, trying to figure out, you know, what's the right approach, you know, does cold calling still work? Uh, and, you know, regardless of the headwinds, I mean, I got ground to make up last year was okay. tough. Okay. We can up. stop. We can stop now. Yep. Where are you right now? Are you engaged? Yep. Very. Yep. So you're four or five, right? The optimal yep. level, right? Yep. What got you there? Now, remember, the moment I called you up and I said, I'd like to share with these three strategies that other people brought me to speak. At that moment, your cortisol number was what? Six is uh, somewhat agitated. Seven is going to be more agitated. Eight. Where would you put it? No, not, not agitated at all. I mean, right. I'm, cu- I'm curious, right? But you won like you were a minute later when you were really engaged. So were you one, two, three? Well, give me a number. So yeah, in the beginning, yeah, lower. Uh, you know, like, all right, three. Okay, good. Now, when I asked you, if I can ask you a question, you said, okay. That probably was agitating you a little bit. But when I asked you, what were the three things you were looking to achieve this year? Something changed in your brain chemistry. Because mm-hmm. your whole body language changed. Mm-hmm. You immediately looked down to your left. Some people looked down, some people looked up. You went into a thinking posture. And you started giving me some information. 
what changed in your brain? Tell us the emotions that were going on as as I asked you that three question and you started getting more engaged. What changed for you? Well, you're making it all about me. Okay, good. And then you started giving me three answers, right? Would you have given me those answers if you didn't have one iota of trust in me at this point? No. Right. So the three hormones we talk about in the book are cortisol, which we just talked about. Oxytocin is the love hormone, but it's also the trust hormone that you have to kick off a little bit just to get someone to give you information like you just did. And then the dopamine hormone, which is the feel-good hormone, rides of oxytocin. Were you starting to feel a little better about this call when you started talking about your challenges and were you thinking about maybe there's a solution here? Sure. That's what we're talking about. So what we're taking people through a process is how can you um, influence others to buy into your ideas? That's what leaders have to do. And for the reserve um, technical people, this is a tremendous thing for them to understand because they, they'll, they, they will love this kind of information. But more importantly, it takes the pressure off of them because now they realize I don't have to sell anybody. I don't have to beat someone over the head. All I have to do is get them into a mode and want to talk to me by asking them what's important to them, which technical people love doing. So it's putting it into a format that they will just, in my opinion, eat it up. Very nice. Yeah, but Ron, you know, this is, this is 2021, man. Uh, cold calling's dead, haven't you heard? Uh, I've heard that 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> now I still there, there are fax machines. Uh, cold calling is dead. <laughs> I understand that. And, and, you know, talk about fax machines. I, I had to go see a doctor and they said, well, have you had a doctor? You know, can you fax the script? I said, I don't have a fax machine. Can you do email? It's, am- it's amazing how the medical industry hasn't followed uh, suit. Uh, look, cold calling is never easy, okay? It's even harder today, especially when you have voicemail and especially when you have, um, uh, you don't even have any more people answering other people's phones. It's mainly voicemail. But whether you're doing an email, voicemail, whatever, is the same thing. The subject line in the email has to be about an outcome to get your attention to want to read further. And then the first line has got to get them thinking about what they were trying to accomplish this year. It's the same thing in a voicemail. If all you're saying is, hi, Wes, my name is Ron Carr. I wrote the book, The Velocity Mindset, blah, 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 blah. It's all about me, not about you. What can you say in that voicemail that will get them thinking to want to call you? Remember, you're not selling yourself in the voicemail. You're just saying something that's going to get the person to think that says, hey, I need to call this person back. Mm-hmm. Have you found... Um you know, the old adage, it takes five to seven touches, 12 touches, you know, to get them to respond. Is it, we're still looking at kind of the same numbers, same percentages? Yeah, but um, the answer is yes, but touches are not that difficult. We're not talking about seven calls. It could be you're easy and it goes out weekly as a touch. Um, an email that goes out as a touch. Um, anything that you send out, an article that you send out to your clients that you want them to read as a touch. It's not just phone calls. And the reason why it takes five to seven touches is because the key to sales is the concept of timing. I could have the best solution for you, but the timing's not right, you are not going to buy. So the question is, being in, in the top of the conscious mindset of someone, so when the need arises, you're the first one they're calling. That's why you want those five to seven touches in the year. That's why you want to keep being in front of those prospects and customers. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's where, you know, I've spent since 2007 working with small businesses on, and even mid-sized businesses on the, on the right tools, you know, marketing automation, sales automation, have some sequences in place, work on the timing, short, mid, long-term prospects, you know, adjust the timing to, to be there. Because uh, people, they just, they're not thinking about us. <laughs> right. You know, it's so 13 years I've been in this space, right? Uh, you can kind of see it. Uh, I got to go backwards. That big green book back there. You know, I wrote a book uh-huh. on Infusionsoft, right? And I would have people, they'd call me after they bought the software so I could do some training for them. Like, I just straight up asked them, like, you just bought Infusionsoft? Yeah. Why didn't you buy it from me? Oh, I didn't know you sold Infusionsoft. I thought you just serviced it. Right. Or, or vice versa. They'd buy from me. And then I'd hear somebody, Hey, I'm working with one of your clients. You know, they're doing like this big implementation. And I'm like, Ron, why didn't you have me do the implementation? Oh, I thought you just sold it. You didn't. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, so even being like at the top of your game, people still will miss you. Right? Like, yeah, sure. Misunderstand. Like, oh my gosh. So it's like, you always, always got to. That's why you got to be in front of them all the time. Yeah, you got to put yourself out there. But uh, part two of your book is you talk about creating our destiny. Yes. Um, you know, I guess there there are a million and one books on goal setting and whatnot because it's important and people get it wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, why? Why? We all know it's so important. We hear all these stories. Um, why are we still getting it wrong and how? How bold and how detailed should we be in in mapping this destiny out? So when I refer to destiny, I mean everything from what's your target, your goal for a sales call you're making to what's your life's destiny. I'm I'm talking about the whole gamut because it's the same process, okay? So we know that if you're going to try and get to a higher level or to a different position than you are now, you have to start with the end in sight. If I went to Newark Airport and I spoke to the pilot on the plane and said, where are we going? He goes, I have no clue wherever the winds take us. Do you think I'm going to stay in the plane? And the answer is no. Now, if I go and I want to go to Florida and I say to the pilot, where we're going, the way he does it or she, she'll say, we're going to Miami. That's the end in sight. And then they work their way backwards to find the waypoints and how to get there based on the winds and so forth. So we have to understand what the end result is that we're after because that's going to dictate our actions and the right actions. So where most salespeople go wrong in the sales call, let's suppose that you have a five sales call process to get a deal. That's your numbers, right? And if you ask someone on the first call to this prospect, what's your goal? Oh, I want to get them as a client. Well, that's not a valid goal. If you know it takes five calls, why are you making that the goal for the first sales call? What are you going to be doing then is puking all over them and boring them that? The first goal of the first call should be simple, to qualify them as an ideal candidate or prospect and find out what the next path forward is. That's what the value. And then you're going to be asking different questions. You're going to be doing a different set of actions. Uh, What I always like to teach salespeople is, you know, just don't say you want to get a new client. What would the ideal relationship with that client look like? Those are two different questions. I can get you as a client. You give me 10 bucks a year. Technically, you're a client. But that may not be what I wanted. 
But my ideal client could be, I want someone who's going to give me $500,000 a year, someone we have a lot of value, we can grow, and there's repeat business over the next three years. That's a different story. And that's going to lead to a different set of actions. So that's what we're talking about in that whole section, how to properly create your destiny. The tool that we offer people to use is a clean, white piece of paper. Very advanced, isn't it, Wes? Oh, hell no, man. I need, I need a tablet going to multiple screens, going straight to Zapier, to Vimeo, to a live cast. I mean, no, uh-uh, man. Okay, I'll give you a blank screen for the clean piece of paper, okay? Oh, all right. However you want to use it. <laughs> but why am I saying start with a clean piece of paper? There's a real fundamental reason here. When we say start with a clean piece of paper, we mean put all your biases and your past experiences aside. Forget what you think is possible and not possible. Because if all you do is write down a destiny based on what you think is possible or not, all you're going to be doing is creating the past. And you're going to ask yourself why I'm here again. Give you a case in point. There was a major multinational manufacturer, a chemical manufacturer. There's one division in the States created a reagent that cut in half the cost of mining copper. And when it came out in the 80s, it saved the copper mines from going bankrupt. So when you come out with a new technology, your, your sales short, soar, then competition sees it, they re-engineer, come out with their offerings, not as good, but then it becomes a price war. So when they uh, brought me in, they were down to 60% of the market share because they had 100% when they first came out. And they only had 25% of the largest copper mine in the world. And now all their mines were up for bid, so they called me in to help them. And I asked them a fundamental question. I said, what do you want as a result of my intervention? Oh, we want to win the bid. Because you see, the industry always purchased by bid. Every three years, supply agreement, best price. I said to them, that's not my question. If you can take out a clean piece of paper, forget how the industry bought in the past. Forget about your buys and experiences. What is your true destiny? And all of a sudden, that passion came out west. They said, why do we have to bid? We started this industry. So what do you want? A negotiated deal. For how long? 10 years, the life of the patent. Okay. And you have 25% demand. How much? 75% we want. And then I repeated it back to him. I said, okay, so what you're telling me is you don't want to bid. You want a negotiated 10-year deal for 75% of the demand. Is that correct? And they said, yes. And I said, it takes a different set of actions to get that than it does to win a bid. But when I got them to see what this was all about, that they really wanted, then we started asking the right questions of the customer. And within 18 months, that big, audacious goal, they put down that clean white piece of paper, became a reality, and they closed a $200 million negotiated deal over 10 years. And that means you got to start with the end in sight first. You can't let your biases and experience get in the way because you'll never get to a new place in life. Otherwise, you'll be, like I said before, recreating the same old results. You know, so funny. The um, I, I have a confess, confession to make, and it's live on this, okay. on this interview. Are, are you ready? I'm you, ready. You ready to, to give me absolution? Okay. So I'm a rabbi. I'm Jewish, so I'll have to do it. First. All right. But you understand. I'm, I get you know, it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Let's do the confession. Catholics, Catholics are, are, are Jewish to the next degree. All right. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> We're all the same. We're all the same. <laughs> um, so 
my wife, she's the sales whisperer. My son, I've created a little sales whisperer. <laughs> we, we were looking for a new truck, new for us, right? It was used. Um, and we found this night, finally, after months, we find this great truck. And the guy had lowered the price from 40000 to 35000 We're like, and even at 40, it was a pretty good price. And at 35, we're like, that's a really great price. And on the, on the drive there, my younger daughter came too. And I'm like, Ella, watch. So Matthew's talking to Shannon. He's like, mom, we're getting this truck for $30,000. I'm like, I don't know if you know much about the, like the car market right now is ridiculous. And the used truck market is ridiculous. I mean, it's just, everything's expensive, Yeah, you know? Uh, and so 30, I'm like, I'm thinking, all right, I want to see where this goes. Cause like, I hate, I hate all the haggling, <laughs> you know, you probably know this, right? Salespeople are the easiest people to sell. Like, oh just, yeah. Trust <laughs> me. I know. So I let my wife do the haggling, man. <laughs> and um, so my son found it. My wife talked to the guy. We took a week, went out to see him. He was a really nice guy. We drove it. This thing was immaculate. I mean, perfect. Um, and his house was perfect. His garage was perfect. Like, this is a meticulous guy. He was 60 years old. So his kids were grown. Literally didn't even use the back seat. I mean, this thing is just cherry. And we drive it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like 35 is a good deal. And, and my son's like, no, mom, no, 30, 30. And he, he's like, he's funny. Like, get your mind into it. Set your mind. You're going to get it for 30. And she did it. We go back and I'm letting them talk. And she says, we really like it. This is beautiful. She says, we were just like, we're only prepared to spend 30 on, on a truck. And, and, you know, and the guy just, he's quiet for a second. He goes, I can do that. <laughs> you don't visualize. You got to visualize for it to become a reality. And I told her, I, I kind of looked away and I said, like, it was all I could do to not give myself whiplash and look at the guy I'm like, what? It's like, so we walked out of there for 30 grand. And but that's uh, what your son knew. He knew that if you visualize it and put it into your, into your process, now you can make it a reality. You can't make a reality with your own visualize. And, and it's hard sometimes. I tell people, you know, I say, look, you, you if, if you're not embarrassed by your offer, it's not low enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that is a little tough sometimes, right? Right. Because, uh, like in reverse, your your guys, you know, two hundred million dollars, seventy five percent, ten years, like you know, negotiated no bid. You know, a, they they thought that was impossible. Exactly. Before you oh, talked to them. Oh well, when we had that first meeting, and they had, and they knew I was good, I was good because they saw other divisions getting results. So they asked me the one question. They said, "Well, how are we going to do it?" And I looked at them in a serious face and I said, I have no clue. And they started going, what? And yeah. I said, look, I know in my heart of hearts, you're only doing about 10% of what I'm about to share with you. I know that you'll get close to it. Will we get exactly to that? I can't guarantee it, but you'll get close to it. And they trusted it. The first thing you have to do when you come up with that kind of a uh, audacious destiny on a clean piece of paper is then you have to sit back then and do the three things you have to listen to what you're saying you have to trust yourself and you have to act on it yeah well it's it's the old adage you know in in war right no no battle plan survives contact with the enemy right 
right? But you still plan. Yeah, exactly. You know? And and you, you get good enough that you can react in the moment, you know, try to implement your plan, but the enemy has a say-so, right? Your opponent has a say-so. And so, all right, I'm going to, but I'm going to start this way. Uh, but you just said a key thing there, Wes. You know, your, your enemy has, your competition has a say-so, yes. But if you're grounded in what you're trying to address, you'll see those issues coming at you faster and you'll be able to re- react better. Right. It's when you don't have an, a clear idea of what you want, when that's when you can't react because you don't know which way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with your guidance, like, yeah, you didn't know the exact steps, but you knew it was achievable. It was right. it was worth the journey. And you know, like when you drive your car at night, you can't you can't see more than you know. Even with your brights on, okay, maybe you can see fifty yards or hundred yards ahead of you. But I mean, when you're driving, you know, fifty or seventy miles an hour, you know, you're covering that distance in a matter of seconds. Every decision we make in life is controlled by our biases and experience of what we think is possible or not. And we and and if we just think to ourselves, then we get we get stuck in our own tunnel vision, myopic point of view. That's why we gotta talk to other people and see what else is possible. And that's what this book is about. It, it is telling people don't get stuck in your biases and experiences. You know, look for the other ways that you can get someplace, but you can't do it if you don't understand the place you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Can we do it on our own or do we need like that expert outside set of eyes to maybe we can do it our own, but can can we do it with velocity alone? (laughs) Well, the answer is yes and no. You can do it on your own, but the reality is we all get more velocity when we have coaches in our lives and when we have people, because people look at things differently. We just look at things one way. You have to ask yourself, why did Michael Jordan always have his own personal coach who came to his house to get him ready before he even went to practice at the United Center and play a game? Why do all the top CEOs have coaches? It's for that reason. You know, they're not, when people hire coaches, they're not looking for what they know. They already have that. They're looking for things they don't know that's going to help them gain velocity and get to where they want to be. Yeah, I always tell my clients, you know, our job in sales is to ask questions they can't answer right exactly if they have the answer they're not they don't need to talk to us exactly and that's your and that's your value helping them find the answer but the answer comes from the dialogue between the two of you mm-hmm. they would never have gotten it on their own and you wouldn't have gotten it on your own either it only comes from the dialogue between the two of you yeah and, yeah and like you said I, I don't know the answer but like at least i'm asking questions you haven't even considered and, and why was it important for me to say that to the client because if I told them unequivocally, yes, I guarantee it. How can anybody guarantee it? Number one, I would have lost their trust. Right. Remember, their cortisol was going up because here's a guy telling them to do something brand new that they never thought, who is this guy? The only reason they're talking to me is because the other divisions have used me. I still have to keep maintaining their trust along the way and building it in order for their cortisol to go down and for them to be um, interactive in this process. Because without them, we would never have gotten that result. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about in that section, intuition, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, how do we know we can trust it? Right. Cause a lot of time, like newbies, uh, can, they're going to try to wing it and, oh, I'm, I'm good. You know, 
it's it's like the ignorance is bliss, right? Or um, intuition uh, is beginner's not luck. A, yeah, right? but, it's not about beginner's luck. And we all have biases and experiences, and we also have our own true north. And we know what we should be doing and not should be doing. So when something's starting to eat at you a little bit in the stomach, when you're doing something, you're saying, eh, I'm not so sure this is the right thing. That's your intuition talking. What I've come to learn is to trust it, meaning I've literally said, okay, when I wrote the book, should I put this in the book? And my intu- one thing about intuition, there's two parts to the body you have to look at, the heart and the mind. If you're in your mind, then you're, you're analyzing things, and that's not where intuition rests. Intuition rests in the heart, where the subconscious is, meaning that answer should come to you immediately. So if I ask myself, should I put this in the book, yes or no, I don't go to my mind, I go straight to the heart, I'm expecting an immediate answer, and the answer is no, I just don't do it. I've come to trust it. Now, is it always right is the question you're asking. No, it's not, because intuition is only as good as the amount of information you put into your subconscious. Okay, so it's not always right. But you have a better chance of being more right than wrong when you do rely on your intuition. Because when your intuition is telling you as a warning signal, hey, you know, stay away from this, and you don't, you have a better chance of being wrong that way. Yeah. Yep. Amen. So, like, you know, I I do this in sales all the time, by the way. You know, uh, I call a prospect or a client three times, they haven't called me back. So I'll ask myself, okay, do I call back again now? And I'm going, nope, too soon. I don't do it. Hmm. How do you know, though? How do you know it's it's the right thing versus being chicken, right? Being you, don't, you don't you don't know, but it, but it's when you trust it, it's the listen, trust, and act. So there was a company, uh, a major telecom company. This is about 15 years ago, and the uh, VP ran sales from. Minneapolis to Maine to Florida. And he was in my backyard in New Jersey. And he called me up and he wanted to use, he wanted to inquire about the assessments that we use. And his answer was simple. His question was simple. I want to know in my 10 districts why the top 10% are where they are and why the bottom 10% are where they are. So I came in with the proposal. I'm sitting in his office. And I thought he was like a D, you know, task-oriented, fast decision maker and all that. And he's looking at the proposal. And I'm talking to him and he's not saying a word. And my intuition started kicking in. I said, he's not buying this. So now I had to take the risk of saying that to him. I said, you're not buying this, are you? He goes, no. And I realized where I messed up. He was actually a C that can mask themselves like a D. He was compliant. He wanted to analyze everything. But when the data doesn't match up, they don't say a word. So I knew I had to get his trust back, okay? So I really took the proposal and ripped it up in half in front of his face. I said, enough of what I was going to talk to you about. Let's go to what you need. And basically what he needed was more data because it was an analytical. So we sent him the, uh, the studies that showed the validity of the assessments and he bought into it. And we solved this problem. But that's exactly how intuition works. Yeah, I always tell people, we have to adjust how we sell to match how they want to buy right but but it's it's like when you're dating or even with a customer you know when someone's not connecting with you Mm -hmm. you know that okay 
So are you going to let your emotions get in the way saying, oh my God, I can't afford to lose this deal. He's got to connect to me. Let me just be talking, talking, talking. That's not following your intuition. Following your intuition is when you notice something wrong, you know, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is not the way it goes, right? You get the same results. So what are you going to do differently? Rely on the intuition. Rely on it more often than not, and you'll be further ahead of the game. Is there a way to teach this, or is it is it just <laughs> like we say in jujitsu, like time on the mats, right? You just gotta you gotta Wes, get out there and engage. You're gonna lose some, and you're gonna develop it over time. That, that's a great question. I would say over time. You know, we both belong to the National Speakers Association, and I'm in the New York chapter. We had a I was president of the chapter, and and uh, Nancy Rosanoff was also present. This was in the, in the 1990s, and she was an intuition expert. At that time, I was a hardcore business guy, you know, in black and white. And she was trying to tell me about intuition. Like, seriously, you're making a living on this? And, uh, but I mentioned her in the book because she got me, you know, and she made me start thinking about it. Now, did I hone and trust my intuition then? No, it probably took me about 10, 15 years because I had to learn to trust it and so forth. But I started realizing every time I started relying on my intuition, I started having better results. Yep. Trust your gut, huh? Yep. It's like you you were you were a pilot, right? Were you a pilot or I mean in the, you were in the military? No, I was a weatherman. I was weatherman. a meteorologist. Okay. But yeah, so, I got to fly a good bit, but uh I grew up flying with my parents. Okay, my, but, yeah, my grandfather. even as a weatherman, you What's know, you're looking at the day, even as a weatherman, you know, you got pilots, you know, that are relying on you, right? On your on your forecast, they're, they're supposed to, but I was um, easily um, um, shunned. <laughs> okay, but but what you're but, doing, but also, by regulation, they had to listen. At least act like they were listening to me. They had to listen to you, right? Now you're doing it by the data, you know, the winds, the surface speeds, and all that other stuff. But sometimes your gut was telling you there's something else going on here. Is that correct? Sure. That's your intuition. Did you ever listen to it? Oh yeah. Well. I was brand new. I only spent five years in after the Academy and I had good people. And I listened. I remember one time in particular, um, Sylvia pool. We're still friends on Facebook. We stay in touch and I'm a brand new Lieutenant and I'm assigned to the desk with her. She's a staff Sergeant and, uh, spent 90 days working all the shifts with her learning what to do. Right. <laughs> I had to go brief the squadron twice, twice a day. She said, yeah, it's clear right now. She says, we've got storms coming in around noon. It'll be short-lived and it'll be okay. So I'm like, all right. And I went and told them that. And the guys are like, no way. It's clear. Uh-uh. And man, like freaking clockwork. This is 1990. When was it? 92, 93, late 93, early 94. Oh, yeah. Fall. Fall of 93. And man, like clockwork, it came through. And those guys, like I could do no wrong after that, even though I did do wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> I listened to Sylvia. Yeah. And I was a I was a hero. <laughs> I told you, listen to this woman. Oh man. Yeah. Because when she told you that with such conviction, right? That made you start thinking, right? Yeah. And it started getting your uh your intuition going, like saying there must be something here. So I better listen to this young lady. Yeah. Yeah. She knew her stuff. Yep. You know, we had good people and, uh, I, I was happy. I was, 
just want to just want to get it as right as possible. You know, the old adage, you know, there's no limit to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit. Right. So, yeah. And we all want to get it as right as possible. And that's why the velocity mindsets out there. It's helping them get it right more often than not, because, you know, like I said, a lot of what we talk about are self-imposed limitations that prevent us from getting what we want in life. Yep. Very nice. So your book, uh, we're doing this interview a little bit before it comes out, but it's it's out May 11th, right? They can right. order. Yep. Um, and you've got a special website just for the book, right? Yeah, it's called velocitymindset.com. And they can even read a free chapter or they can pre-order it. So when it's released on May 11th, they can be one of the first ones to get their own copy. Very nice. Velocitymindset.com. Uh, and car is spelled K-A-R-R. So Ron Carr, uh, that's your home on the web as well. And they can see the book and all the other bonuses as well. Yep. Um, so I'm linking to there and on the website, I'm linking to your first book as well. Lead seller, get out of the way, the seven traits of great sellers. So, um, Man, lots of info out there. I appreciate you uh, taking the time and sharing your words of wisdom. Well, thank you, Wes. And I appreciate all you're doing as a sales whisperer and all the good that you're doing for your clients. You know, hey, th- thank my wife, man. Okay, thank thank my wife. I'll thank her for you. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thanks for coming to the show. Have a great day. My pleasure. Have a great one. Speed with direction is velocity. Love it. Speed leads to burnout if that's all you've got. That's what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, right? You need to know what to do, then you need to go do it. Doing a bunch of stuff that isn't productive, isn't worthwhile, is how you burn out. So how do you know what to do? You know, get Ron's book. It's out now. Um, Give me a shout. Hit up the website. Contact us. Get a free call. Let's see if it's right to work together. Or get the on-demand content. Join the group some way we can work together and make it happen, okay? But do not go alone. Do not do this alone. I first hired, uh, the first time I hired a mentor, it was like late, I don't know, late 01, maybe middle of 02, changed my life. Hired another one in 06, really changed my life. I've been in various masterminds and, and small group intensives ever since. So hook up with somebody good, okay? Learn from them if you, I don't, I don't want to say if you outgrow them, right? But if they uh, get you where you need to go and they have a specialty and, and you've gotten what you need, if it's time to move on, uh, hey, that makes sense, okay? But stick with them as long as you're learning something, Um Invest in yourself. We got crazy times right now. I think this everything's a bubble. The Fed's creating a bubble. So if you're not sure where to put your money, put it in yourself. Invest in yourself. Okay. The more I've done that, the more I've grown. Every time I've questioned myself, trusted someone more than me, given them my money, you know, hope for the best, it bit me on the butt. So in these crazy times, invest in yourself. Okay. Get trained up, get coached up, and um That's how you make every sale. Thanks for listening. I'll go sell something. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.